Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Christy Gonzalez and Cordia Losh, who serve as executives at WellSpace Health, an organization that's been serving the greater Sacramento community for over 70 years when it comes to behavioral health services, suicide prevention, medical clinics, and serving the Medi-Cal population. In today's episode, we learn of the many services of WellSpace Health including how it got started as a suicide prevention hotline and how now it serves as the largest Medi-Cal provider in the greater Sacramento area. We also dig in a little bit to learn more about WellSpace Health's uh, different community clinics and sobering centers and just the impact they have by impacting over 100,000 individuals each and every year. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us at pophealthpodcast.com, checking us out on our YouTube channel, or listening to us wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, Christy. Hello, Cordia. Welcome to the show. Thank Happy you. To be here. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you guys on the show. So audience, um, I had the opportunity to meet Cordia uh, probably about a month and a half, almost two months ago now at the Northern California State of Reform Conference, where he was uh, a speaker uh, during the conference. And he shared uh, quite a bit about the impact that WellSpace Health is having in Northern California. And um, it was very impressive. Candidly, I had not heard much about WellSpace uh, myself in the past, and I'm still learning about Northern California. Um, but it was pretty impactful uh, for me to hear about uh, what they're doing in Northern California. So Cordia, appreciate you joining and um, Christy joining as well. As we kick off the show, uh, before we jump into WellSpace, Christy and Cordy, we like to get to know our guests a little bit. So Christy, let's start with you. Uh, we always like to start with a fun fact, preferably something outside of healthcare if possible, but can you share like a fun fact, a hobby, something like that about yourself? Absolutely. So um, maybe a fun fact about me is just that I play four different instruments, uh, musical instruments. And um, I always like to say that that serves me well professionally, because part of playing an, an instrument is you have to have your um, instrument correct. You have to play the right notes. You have to come in at the right beat, but you also have to know how to listen to each other and you have to know how to, how to play as a part of a whole. Um, so I like to think that that serves me professionally because it helps me understand what's my role, what's my accountability, but really how do we all get together in the landscape? Love it. And really quickly, what are those four instruments? Flute and piccolo, which are very similar and then very differently baritone and euphonium, which are similar to each other as well too. So. Euphonium. I don't even know. Euphonium. Yes, it's like a mini tuba. That is awesome. And do you like play a recreational, like in a band or anything, or like a church or band or something like that? Just recreationally, and not as much as I used to in my early days. Okay, that is awesome, Cordy. That might be tough to beat, but let's go to you. <laughs> my name is Cordy Losh. You know, I would say my fun fact is I own um, every baseball card from 1974 right now up through 1989. So if there was a baseball card set and a baseball card available, um, in, the, in the primary sets, the Topps, Dunris, Flair, Worlds, I don't, I don't have all the Mother's Cookies cards. I have a lot of them. But um, yeah, I'm a huge, avid um, baseball card collector from the 70s and 80s. 
That's amazing. So do you have the Beckham like uh, pricing guides as well from back then? Or Becky? Just- oh yeah, I still have the old Beck- issues Beck- of Becky. Yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah my, that was my 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 best friend and I used to go down every month by the Beckett and go through and, and categorize and, and track our cards. So okay, so I, I am a not even close to as many baseball cards as you. I have like four thousand cards that I thought was a lot. Do you know the actual number of car? Approximately the number of cards you have? I've never counted them. Um, I would say I probably have over 10,000 baseball cards easily somewhere packed away in my office. Yeah. My wife works my wife now works from home so she's surrounded by my baseball cards so if you're on a if you're on a Zoom with my wife behind her is like all the Ricky Henderson baseball cards because that's where that's my favorite player so I, I keep them all right behind um where she sits now. Well, you're from the Bay Area and he played for the A uh, so my my first glove was a Ricky Henderson Ricky Henderson glove. Yep. And he threw left batted right, correct? Yep. Yep. Oh. Yep. No yep. wonder my dad said most leadoff home runs, you know, most runs, most walks. Yeah, Ricky is um he was he was my favorite player to watch. So um still a huge big Ricky. Hand. I got all the jerseys and I'm that guy. That is awesome. Well, let's stick with you then, Cordy. Yes. So um before we get into well space, we know about your, your passion for baseball cards that you had at a young age. Tell us growing up, uh did you grow up uh, it sounds like you grew up in the Bay Area. Kind of walk through that journey of ultimately getting into uh, maybe policy and serving older adults and ultimately at well space. Yeah, sure. Um, now I grew up in Grass Valley, California. So, you know, it's like Sierra Foothills, if, if you're not familiar with it. I, and if you are usually in California, it's it's basically right in the middle between Sacramento and Reno, um, up in the Sierra Foothills. I, I, I was born in the Bay Area, but my family quickly uh, migrated uh, to Grass Valley. So I, I went through the, gra- I am a product of the Grass Valley Unified School District from kindergarten all the way through high school. I'm a graduate of Nevada Union. Um, you know, when I graduated from high school, I, I, I kind of, I, I meandered through college, I like to say. Um, eventually, um, I ended up at the uh, University of California, Davis, uh, where I graduated with a degree in political science. Prior to that, I, I, um, I found my way into a lot of odds and ends. I was primarily a paralegal. Um, my aunt got me involved. So that's where I, um, I think I found my fondness for policy and law. Um, but, you know, upon graduating from college, uh, I, after working for attorneys for a number of years and working my way through school as a paralegal, I decided to go to business school instead. Um, so I have a uh, MBA from St. Mary's College. Um, how I got here in healthcare, because I didn't want to go into law and I really thought I was, um, I, I, I worked at the state of California. So I worked for the Department of Managed Healthcare. Um, not because I had, I think, uh, I, I had this love of healthcare early on. It was a job that I can get at the state. Um, but, um, the way I looked at the state of California, it was like going to college. Everything is at the state. It regulates all aspects of California. You can go into nature. You can go into healthcare. I worked in recycling and environmental, um, for a while, which was really fun. But at the end of the day, I did actually like the mission of the Department of Managed Healthcare. It is by far the largest regulator of healthcare outside of the federal government. Uh, 95% of Californians are regulated through the Department of Managed Healthcare. So um, I got to spend about eight years at the Department of Managed Healthcare working with um, uh, healthcare policy. So, um, you know, working on licensing structures, working on, you know, regulating health plans to make sure that they had the adequate networks to provide the services to their patients that they promised um, publicly. So I got to do a lot of that oversight. Um, you know, after a while, you know, I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn more in healthcare. So I worked at Anthem, a very large health plan. And then I worked at a local IPA in town. Um, an IPA is an independent physician association, similar to a health plan, just they do 
um, risk on certain services. And then I landed here at Wellspace about three years ago. Um, and what brought me here was just the mission. And I think Christy's going to be able to, to touch um, and enlighten all of that. But everything we do here at Wellspace is for the patient populations. So I know even on the hardest days, maybe indirectly, if we can do and make a difference in someone's life or make our region, you know, um, have more accessibility or broader access to services, then, you know, it's a good feeling. So that's, that's what brought me here and what brought me into healthcare. That is awesome. You've done a lot, but the way you kind of button that up, um, I appreciate uh, very nicely. Uh, let's go over to you, Christy. Uh, what was your journey, you know, as a child up through uh, joining Wellspace, where you've been, uh, I believe, about 20 years now? Yeah, so I'm Christy Gonzalez. I'm Chief Program Officer with Wellspace Health, and um, I have been with Wellspace Health for 20 years. I'm actually celebrating my 20th anniversary this summer with Wellspace Health, and it's it's pretty un, um, uh, unusual these days for someone to kind of have their whole career in one organization. Uh, maybe 50 years ago, it was a little more common. Uh, but, you know, it really started, I grew up in the Bay Area. So I grew up in the Santa Clara area, um, went to Mission College, went to San Jose State, go Spartans. And um, this was this was in the late 90s. This was in the early 2000s. And this was when the, the Intels and the Googles, um, you know, were taking over. And I, I pretty quickly realized I was probably going to be priced out of the Bay Area. So I was an early um, uh, refugee of the Bay Area and fled to the Sacramento area, as a lot of people do. And I really made it my home. And this is my adopted home now, and I'm a very proud Sacramentan now. And the thing that really drew me to healthcare, um, when I was at San Jose State, I was getting a social science degree because I thought to myself, well, I'm pretty good at talking in front of people, so maybe I'll just be a teacher. Um, and that was my 19-year-old logic about choosing a career. And it was actually my very first class at San Jose State where I took a class about um, social justice and racial tensions um, with a lens on education. And as soon as I took that class, something just clicked in my head and I said, I want to go into social work. I want to go into the social sciences. I want to go into social work. I want to be a part of um, what it means to help people and what it means to get people from a place of crisis to a place of healthfulness. And at Wellspace Health, I feel like I've really had a chance to explore that over my last 20, you know, year career here. Started out as a supervisor of a child abuse prevention program um, and then moved into our federally qualified health center um, health system work. And so coming from a social work lens, I didn't understand, you know, managed care plans. I didn't understand insurance. You know, I didn't understand that, but I learned it. I picked it up on the job. And what I learned is there's such a big connection between physical health and what we now call social determinants of health, right? Um, because you can only talk to a parent um, of a pediatric child about how important it is to go get your immunizations if they're like, do you know how much money I had to pay to get me and my five kids here? And do you know how much work I had to miss? You know, and do you know how many buses I had to take to get here? Um, and do you know that even now I'm talking to you through a translator because maybe English isn't my oh. first language? And so to me, it just made so much sense. Healthcare can only be a focus once we have wrapped a patient in those social determinants of health support, in the translation, the transportation, um, the, the, the health literacy of it all. And so um, now 
being a chief program officer, I have the honor of working with our behavioral health departments. Um, so a lot of our suicide prevention work, um, Well Space Health is the provider of the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the Sacramento area. Um, we're the second largest 988 call center in the state of California. You wouldn't know it, right? Well Space yeah. Health, Sacramento, but we are. Um, we're also building out a state-of-the-art crisis receiving center when people um, are actively intoxicated or inebriated or in their middle of a, of a mental health crisis or, or a psychotic episode, rather than going to the emergency room and, and sitting in a bay, you know, for 24, 48 hours waiting for a bed for a 5150 hold, you know, instead they can come to us and just have a moment of respite and be connected to those ongoing services that they have. And so for me, my journey of healthcare was really about the person. It was about how do we make sure that the person who is the patient is really wrapped in all the supportive services they need so that they can focus on their dental health and on their immunizations and all those more kind of usual CPT things. Yeah, interesting. So when you first, well, let me go back. San Jose State University, I've been, I don't know if they still play football there, but there's a team now known as the San Jose Earthquakes. Back yes. then they were called the San Jose Clash. Yes. I think. And so um, I attend, I'm a big soccer guy, even though I have a bunch of baseball cards like Cordia, although not as that is solid, man, like what you have. Um, I'm a huge soccer guy. So I played or I watched, I'm not good enough to play anymore, but I watched the LA Galaxy play San Jose Clash in your stadium. And uh, those fans were definitely uh, rowdy. Uh, so that's San good. Jose does everything that rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you joined 20 years ago. Um, and it was funny when I first talked to Christy off the air, I was like, have you been, you've been the chief program officer for 20 years? And she corrected me. You know, she started there 20 years ago. So what was your first uh, role at WellSpace, Christy? I was a supervisor in a child abuse, child abuse prevention program. So we ran a series of family resource centers, um, helping families with children aged zero to five years old. Um to just have really healthy parenting skills and to be connected with resources they might need. Thank you. You did tell me about the child abuse as kind of the work you did, but I appreciate you clarifying uh, your specific role. So uh, you've been there 20 years. You kind of gave a little bit of a preview of some of the things WellSpace does. So um, I'll continue with you, Christy, but Cordia, feel free to jump in. Keep in mind our audience is all over the country, um, a lot in California too, uh, but could you give like a general overview of what is WellSpace Health, even though our audience is usually pretty educated, maybe speak to the audience as if it was the general public about what you guys do. Christy, so, please now supplement. I will. I will. <laughs> okay, cool. So WellSpace Health, um, in simplest terms, is a federally qualified health center and a system of community health centers. Um, but that's really selling a short. That is not really understanding the depths of what WellSpace Health does, specifically in the behavioral health space. So uh, we're actually celebrating our 70th anniversary this year. We were founded in 1953. And the program that we started with in 1953 is a suicide prevention hotline. And that is still going to this day. So for 70 years, we've been operating that suicide prevention hotline in Sacramento. And for a lot of those 70 years, we were actually a really large large behavioral health provider. We did our suicide prevention hotline. We did um, substance use treatment, um, everything from inpatient treatment to outpatient treatment to perinatal treatment. And then we were also a really big provider of mental health services, counseling, psychiatric care, all that really great behavioral health stuff that for a really long time was not thought of 
as integrated into a physical healthcare or a primary healthcare mindset. Um, and so in about 2004, 2005, WellSpace Health started to become um, a federally qualified health center lookalike, ultimately obtained federally qualified health center status. And so while a lot of people in the Sacramento region know us as the largest system of community health centers and federally qualified health centers, that's actually the newest kid on the block as far as services we provide. And that's what makes WellSpace Health unique is not only do we have over 135,000 patients that we serve every year, not only do we have 1,500 encounters every day across the many different services wow. we have, but we are a really large integrated behavioral health and primary health care system. And so really knowing how we started um, is important because I think there's a lot of primary care um, clinics and a lot of primary care FQHCs that are just now in the past few years talking about how do we incorporate behavioral health into our operations. We actually did the opposite. We yeah. said we do behavioral health. How do we incorporate primary care into us? We think we've done a pretty good job at it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, Cordy, feel free to add anything in a second. Um, just to clarify, Christy, uh, the counties you serve, uh, Sacramento, Plaster, and Amador, am I missing anything? That's correct. Okay, Cordy, anything to add on kind of just the general overview of uh, who WellSpace is? No, I think I think Christy captured it, uh, you know, relatively accurately, uh, in, in, and like she always does, in very, 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 um, very specific. What I would say is, um, you know, when you when, when I think about WellSpace, you know, the how it is unique in our region is and, and Chris said this, it's an integrated model really for the Medi-Cal member. And and sometimes the Medi-Cal membership, they they have different demands as maybe a Kaiser would. A Kaiser is an integrated model. Kaiser is for the commercial patient, Medicare Advantage patient, and it's really tailored to those needs of that patient population. They do do Medi-Cal, not nearly at, at the highest clip that they do. And a lot of the Medi-Cal members at Kaiser were, were formerly commercial members. So they're kind of also, they understand that model. And what you see here at WellSpace, it is for that Medi-Cal member. I mean, we have primary care. We have women's health. We have pediatric dental. Soon we're going to have adult dental. And then we have the number of services that Christy um, you know, operates here at WellSpace. And what that does is that that is tailored for the Medi-Cal member. And what you have to think about Medi-Cal, it is unique when we think about service lines. About 5% of the Medi-Cal population has, you know, what is referred to as maybe comorbidities or, you know, maybe multiple diagnoses. A lot of times that has to come with, you know, behavioral health um, and that they need treatment for that. That 5% is really 50% of the Medi-Cal spend that you have um, on the state. And that's really where WellSpace is focused and where our CEO has always grown this, this organization is it's that it's, it's not the low hanging fruit is the high hanging fruit. You know, we want, you know, it's, it's not, we don't say disadvantage. We say most deserving of care. We don't say, you know, safety. We don't say safety net because that holes in it. We say blanket of care. And I think that's with Christy and her programs and what we've done with our behavioral health services is really create that integrated model for the Medi-Cal patient and the services that we offer and how we interact with our patients are really focused on that. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the adjustments of the wording that you mentioned, like most uh, most deserving of care, I believe, is what you yeah. mentioned, and a blanket of care instead of uh, safety. Now, that's really cool. I've been around for a while, but I've never heard those terms, and uh, that that's great. So, what's interesting is, oh, you know, like some maybe some other not for profits that have been around as long as you guys. Medi-Cal, I'm guessing, is your biggest payer today, or the different managed Medi-Cal, Medi I guess you can say. Is that true? Or do you, like, is there, I know you probably, you're probably funded by different sources besides Medi-Cal too, right? Or managed Medi-Cal? 
Yeah, but we uh, our Medi-Cal, our, our patient population is is primarily Medi-Cal based. So about 84% of okay. our patient population is Medi-Cal. And then we have a mix of Medicare and commercial patients. We do see commercial patients. That's the thing about WellSpace. We see everyone. Um, and that's why our, our motto is everybody deserves to be seen. Um, but primarily, you know, again, where our focus is at is about 84% of that patient population that we see um, annually is going to be a managed Medi-Cal patient. Um, also about 10% of our patient is uninsured. Um, so, you know, generally what you're going to see with WellSpace is because of the number of health, you know, number of centers that we have in the regions that we serve. Um, and specifically with a lot of those programs that Christy works with, because we have the unhoused street nursing program, um, a lot of the calium that we're going to touch upon is that, you know, is that we, we do end up with maybe a higher portion of uninsured, but that's also what the FQHC mission is about. Yep. It's not necessarily about managed care. It's, it's a community health center. And what we are is that when you walk in the door at a community health center, it's the same as when you go to an ED. We will see you when you come in. And it doesn't matter whether you have insurance or not. It doesn't matter whether you want to use your name or another name. All we ask is that you stay consistent with the name that you use. Yeah. But we're going to see and we're going to treat everybody. And I th I think one of the, the, the really the secret sauce is when you come here, maybe for primary care services, you know, we can link you into the number of services that Christy has. And again, start to, you know, not just do primary care, but really kind of do that integrated work um, that those patients do and may need. Am I right on that, Christy? Think anything to... I miss anything? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that um, is that over 5% of the WellSpace health population do identify as being unhoused or experiencing homelessness in some way. Um, and so it really is, uh, as Cordia mentioned, it's about that idea of we will see you no matter what, regardless of your ability to pay. And not only that, but we're going to provide you with that top-notch service. We're going to provide you with the same high-quality comprehensive health care that someone with insurance would have. We don't have some sort of two-tier health care delivery system every patient receives that same care. That's really neat. So Cordia um, had touched on, and I, I asked Christy and Cordia if we could kind of touch on their Calame services prior to the recording, and Cordia just hinted at it. And now, Christy, you mentioned the unhoused, which uh, kind of gets me thinking of all the different housing community supports and what how ECM organizations are now, you know, serving uh, those in experiencing homelessness. So can we talk briefly about WellSpace's efforts in the California Advancing and Innovating Medical or Calame world. Um, Chris, you, Cordia, feel free to jump in. Absolutely. So WellSpace Health plays a lot in the world of um, ECM, which is Enhanced Care Management, um, which is really focused on care coordination and case management for some of those managed care plan members. And we also live in the world of the community supports. Um, and the community supports are more um, kind of on demand as opposed to a, a case management or a care coordination like that ECM is. And we offer the most um, ECM services in our region to the most patients and assigned lives in the region. And we also offer the most community supports in our region as well, too, including some of the supports that are a little harder um, to start up. Um, if there was a provider in the um, you know community that wanted to start up, say, a sobering center, that might be a little bit harder to start up because you need to site it, you need to staff yeah. it for 24 hours a day, that sort of thing. So we offer um, sobering center 
uh, community supports. We also offer recuperative care, also known as medical respite care. Uh, this is the concept that if someone is experiencing homelessness um, and they are about to be discharged from the hospital or they're at risk of hospitalization, they can come to that recuperative care center and receive that medical respite care uh, for 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is that the health plan may authorize. And so those are the types of community supports that might be a little bit harder to get going in some of those California communities where they don't already exist. WellSpace Health has been operating a recuperative care, medical respite care model for almost 20 years. So for us to transition to CalAIM, it was actually more about a funding mechanism yeah. than it was about starting a new service. Awesome. And, and so those medical respite centers um, have been utilized, I'm assuming, uh, and I'm thinking of other counties that I'm more familiar with. So like the hospitals, for example, uh, there may be someone who's not necessarily appropriate for an acute stay, but they were there for a little bit. And maybe it's appropriate for them to go to medical respite instead at a significantly lower cost. That's so exactly that's right. Yeah. So the, the concept behind the community supports, uh, when Department of Healthcare Services actually started announcing what kind of services they would consider, they actually used a different term than community supports. They started with a term called in lieu of services. Yeah. And the concept behind the name of in lieu of services was exactly that of what kind of supports could we provide in lieu of those higher cost services, the inpatient at the hospital, the skilled nursing facility. And one of those services is exactly that, that medical respite care. So you or I, you know, listening to this recording, if we, God forbid, were to um, go into the hospital and we had a short stay and we were well enough to be discharged home, that is not what our unhoused neighbors can go home to. They can't go home to a bed. They don't have a refrigerator to keep their medicine, you know, uh, cool. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have heating. They don't have a loved one who's going to monitor. Does that wound look infected? Are you taking your medicine on time? And so these community support providers like WellSpace Health providing this recuperative care service, we act as that loved one. We make sure they're taking their medicine on time. We check their wounds to make sure that they're not being, um, you know, uh, getting worse and we make sure that they have a safe place to recuperate that is great so cordia your chief strategy officer i mean it's, it seems like you guys do everything what what are you working on if you guys already do everything <laughs> what you know, are it, it, I, so it's really cool is my job is i get to strengthen and 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 really uh work closely with you know individuals and organizations like christy i remember when we looked at this i actually remember the meeting it was about two and a half years ago i was sitting with christy um, and one of her deputies, and we were reviewing the Calium program, and we, we were like, we we already do all of this. <laughs> um, you know, we 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 were doing all of these services, you know, prior to it. So when we started on Calium, it wasn't you know what we wanted to do. All we had to really work is, is how do we operationalize this and expand it because we knew it was going to be expanded. You know, the medical respite at, at, at a location that we refer to as the bunker that was already in the process of being built. Um, you know, we were already starting you know, our sobering center, which we referred to as 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 the crib. Um, so that that's that's what was really interesting. And then what it comes down to, you know, what what I like to say I do is I handle you know the bureaucracy of healthcare on my end. Um, you know, what I want to do is be able to take that bureaucracy, work through those contracts, work through those numbers. Um, so Christy and her team can focus on making these services the best for their patients. You know, I want to work on, you know, how do I work with these partners that we have, mostly primarily our health plans and also um, the other community support providers. Um, you know, WealthSpace is the largest. And as Christy says, we do provide a lot of these services and we are 
really for a lot of these services, specifically med medical respite, kind of the only provider right now in our region. You know, but but what we have to understand about Calim and, and Christy will agree with me on this one is it like healthcare, you know, if you think of specialty care, it is a network of providers that provide these services. You know, you have a you have independent gastroenterologists, independent cardiologists, independent urologists, and they all come together to create that network of care. And I think that that's really where Cal Ames going. Um, you know, we we are the largest provider of these services, but we can't be the only provider of these services. And I think that's where Cal Ames going. So, you know, again, working with a lot of those outside partners, but again, being well spaced is that we had those connections and those relationships um, with a lot of these entities already, mostly with the housing transition. So that that's what I really enjoyed about Sacramento. Um, we were able to already kind of, we, we weren't building this from scratch. I think what a lot of counties have experienced with, with the Cowling program, we just had to strengthen our program. And I think that's what we've been doing since then. That is great. So since you guys have been doing this for a while, you've I mean, you probably started with Calim when it went live since you already had the programs in place. Are you able to share maybe a, a story or besides just like numbers and lives impacted, are you able to like maybe share with the audience um, a story, uh, something we can all relate to about the impact, whether it's Calim related or not with WellSpace? Yeah, absolutely. So um, protecting PHI, of course, I'll call the patient Jose. Um, so Jose represented a lot of what we see in our homeless population. Um, you know, he was he was over 50. He was in his 60s. Um, you know, he um, was a veteran and, and had served and he had experienced homelessness for the first time after the age of 50. Um, and that that's quite common in a lot of California um, homelessness numbers. And so Jose came to us because he was uh, discharged from a local hospital. He stayed with us in our recuperative care for 90 days. And while he was with us, he was actually connected to the CalAIM service of ECM. So all that care coordination work and all that case management work went into play. He was also connected with our uh, community support service of housing navigation. So rather than just saying, thank you, you have rested for 90 days at recuperative care. Now you're released, you know, back out onto the street. It was saying, let's figure out what housing looks like for you, Jose. Uh, so in addition to the care coordination, we got him established with his primary care provider. We got him followed by his cardiologist. And then through the housing navigation, we were actually able to find him uh, an apartment where he was able to rent an apartment market rate um, with another uh, person who was graduating from our recuperative care. And together they were able to afford the apartment. And so we were able to um, work through with them, help them with their housing deposit, which is another community support through CalAIM. And upon discharge of our recuperative care, was able to move into an apartment um, with a uh, roommate. So he is the biggest success story, I think, of what can happen with CalAIM, of what can happen when the authorizations for services go smoothly, of what can happen with the connection to the community supports, both in healthcare, but also outside of healthcare, thinking about housing, thinking about benefits, you know, thinking about the Department of Human Assistance. When all the systems can really be coordinated through CalAIM, we can actually make a difference in individual patients' lives. Awesome. Awesome. And that's well, the cool thing is whether you're like WellSpace and coordinate and have all those services or it's other organizations partnering together, like that's the intent of Cal Aim and how it's working. So really cool um, about the success there. Uh, Cordy, from your lens, anything else to add on, on what you've seen as a success story? Um, or is Jose kind of like a good prime example? 
I think Jose is a good prime example. I, I know that, you know, when I'm over at, you know, our, our medical respite, again, referred to as the bunker, there hasn't been one time, and I, I feel like we're over there quite often. Um, there's not one time where multiple patients don't walk up, you know, you know, they shake our hand and they say, that, you know, this made a difference. I had nowhere else to go. Um, this is what's helping me change my life. This and the services that you provide, and it's the it's the many things, and it, it it's humbling because it's like oh, I am I am just a very small part of this, but you know I, you can see the appreciation for what we do in our community, and you can see you know at the end of this, you know there there is a patient, and it does change lives. You know you're sitting here doing these mounds of paperwork and these contracts and these billing processes, but at the end of that. There is someone, you know, and their life is being changed. You're making a life for the better. And there hasn't been one of these services where we haven't we haven't been touring or walking through it where we don't have someone come up and thank us for everything um, that Wellspace does. And and that's that's why we want to work here. I think that's why Christy has been here for 20 years. You know, it's just that right there. That that's that's the addicting part about working in an FQHC and be able to help the community. Awesome. So folks that are listening, let's say they're in the Northern California area or just even outside and they want to learn more about, um, you know, keeping up with what WellSpace is doing. How can folks follow the work that you guys are doing? Is it just the website? Um, what would you recommend there? Definitely the website, www.wellspacehealth.org. Um, one of the other ways is to follow our social media feeds, uh, Twitter feed, Facebook feed. We do a lot on there where we're talking about what are some of the local events that we're doing and that we're engaging in. Also, what are some of those really big campaigns that we're engaging in? You know, we're doing everything from making sure that Medi-Cal beneficiaries don't lose their um, coverage, right? Of course, after the big um, uh, rollback of kind of automatic enrollment that had been going on during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so a lot of those campaigns around back to school immunization events or um, mammogram screenings, you can always find us on social media. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. I know Cordy is on LinkedIn. I don't know, Christy, if you're more behind the scenes, I did try uh, try finding you as well. But uh, uh, folks, I hope it's okay, Cordy, that, that I'm mentioning they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so anything else to add, guys, before we wrap up? Um, I would add that, you know, the, the, the great thing about CalAIM is, is, is I think it's really easy in government, you know, for, um, a lot of us maybe on the outside of it too, where, you know, where is public policy going? It, it does seem slow. It does seem methodical. It is frustrating, but this is a program that is long overdue, um, in the Medicaid, Medi-Cal space. And it's really been a long work in progress by the state. You know, is it, is it perfect? Nothing's going to be perfect that we create public policy wise, but, you know, this is derived from another program that was quite successful called Health Homes. And what we've seen with the social determinants health is, you know, I've been in, I've been working in healthcare for now almost 20 years. And I think we've been trying to really put definition to that term. And I think DHCS has given definition to that term when you look at the Calling program um, and seeing where it's going is that this is what's necessary right now in healthcare. I think we had the Affordable Care Act, which I called, you know, the the new big bang. You know, remember, we had the 1965 Medicare Medicaid Act, you know, that signed by Lyndon B. Johnson. Not much expansion until we get to the ACA in 2010. And then we didn't see that Medi-Cal expansion to 2015. That solved the access to coverage. But there was a whole other layer that we had to start working through, which is actual access to care primarily for that Medicaid population, that Medi-Cal population, and understanding what they need. And this is now that time, I think, in healthcare, where we all are looking at just past the primary care setting and the specialty setting into a setting now that can actually have and show dividends and give the give our patients what they need. And that's what I really appreciate about the Calling program. It's going to be slow. 
Um, it's going to take a lot of people working to get it right, but it's where the program has to go because healthcare is shifting. We have a limit on providers. It's not like we're going to get a flood of providers all of a sudden. So that's what I appreciate. It is truly, it's in the title, but it is truly trying to innovate care. So, um, you know, a lot of us out there that, that may be listening and maybe you're healthcare junkies like us, you know, give it time and be patient. It's a necessary program and it's going to help a number of people that need it the most. Thanks, Cordy. And while we do maybe need to be patient, we have seen the successes. Um, mm -hmm. you gave, uh, or Christy gave the Jose example, uh, my day job. I see it every day. So Calium is being successful, but um, good words, Cordia, for those uh, who still may be needing to be a little bit patient. Uh, Christy, anything else to add, whether it's Calium, Wellspace, uh, other services, anything to add before we wrap up? Just to make sure that behavioral health care and social determinants of health are never the afterthought when you're thinking about health care. So listeners out there designing your systems, listeners out there thinking of remodeling your systems, please make sure that behavioral health and, and the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions and the behaviors that really determine those primary care outcomes are really thought of as how do we integrate those into services at ground zero? Um, because that's where we see all that really great um, payout at the end is when we're asking ourselves, what's this person's living condition? What's this person's health literacy? You know, what's this person's uh, access, you know, to, to food um, and fresh fruits and vegetables? Because those are the things that we know really make a difference, um, you know, in, in the zip code you live in and in life longevity. So always putting in a plug in there to think of behavioral health as an integrated part of any model. Well said. Well, Christy and Cordia, thank you so much for joining the show today. Take care, guys. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.